back episode number 66 of the New York Painters podcast, a partnership with Inside the Rink. I'm your host, Jacob Berkowitz, and today we're going to be having on guest Drew. Some of you know him as Drew Way from Twitter. We're going to be discussing analytics, Patrick Kane, Tarasenko, lineups, and more. But first, just want to let you guys know to go to insidetherink.com slash ESPN to subscribe to ESPN Plus to watch games more. And yeah, let's get to it. And we are back. Drew Way from Blue's Breakaway. How's it going? It's going well. You sound super energetic right now. I probably <laughs> I got Luca laughing already, so this is good. <laughs> good start. Because <laughs> I'll I'll be honest with you, I am like my energy levels are so low right now. I'm exhausted, and like the way that he like just like did the intro was kind of how I felt. And I mean, I've been driving was, all day, was, so. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm good. I, I'm. A, I can always bring the energy. So let's go. Hey, thank you for having me on. All right. So, so you know, yeah, let's get right into it here. Obviously, the past week has been straight up dysfunctional. Lindgren was out. Miller was out. How much would you take out of the defensive mistakes, and you know, say this is what they need to work on, or is it you're burning the tapes? Uh, now, you know, that's a good question. Um, I think the truth's in the middle, right? Um, I wouldn't. Uh, focus too much on the defense like the defensemen on the rangers defensive mistakes because obviously with we have two of our top three defensemen out right now and miller and lingering yeah you know, if, if someone wants to argue trubas but w- whatever like you know at worst it's two of the top four that are out um the thing though that i think is a takeaway and that they could certainly work on on is the centerman i find that there's been multiple instances in the last few games where i don't think the centermen have been doing their job on defense and they've left guys open right in front of the net and in you saw it in the boston game and you've seen it a few times where a guy you know in in gretzky's office behind the net there just passes it right out in front of the net and there's someone wide open right there and if you go back and look at the tape a lot of the times it's the centerman on the rangers not covering where he's supposed to be and so that is the thing and, and i'm not like alarmed by it or worried or anything but if you know your question is you know what can they work on what can they take away from this that's the thing is the centers have to do a better job at making sure they're covering their man and covering the slot there, not allowing those wide open you know those open passes from behind the net right in front of the net leading to grade a scoring chances for the opponents if anyone just heard that little whine, that's I that's my dog, dog Ravioli. Just I heard really it. annoying right now. Yeah, <laughs> what um, kind of dog? Can I, what kind uh, of dog? He's, he's a sound like a husky almost. Turned, he's a, no, he's a Jack Russell Terrier. So oh, he's Jack he, Russell. He, okay, okay. Yeah, he's a little guy, and he makes the weirdest noises in the world. Um, yeah, I got a little terrier mix myself, so definitely know the the noises I, that terriers can make. <laughs> yeah, it's the weirdest things, and like I don't know, he's like he he has cadences that I just don't understand whatsoever. <laughs> um, but so you know, something that I think is really interesting is that you know last year's last year, obviously there's so many things to pick apart analytically with this team. You know, the mm-hmm. five on five was obviously the the bugaboo throughout the entire year, um, and this year it's 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 a different scenario what are some things that you see that the team this year is doing that they weren't doing last year or what are some big differences and i know that's a, such a huge thing that like it's such a hard thing to just nail because it's probably uh-huh. a ton of things um but what yeah. are some of the things that you kind of like and don't like that they're doing different from last year yeah no that's a good question and, and like you said there's a lot of different ways you can take that so in terms of like i would say that um 
it's a little bit more structured and more of a mature game. And that's, I think, an obvious answer where, you know, this team is is still very young and um, it's still one of the younger teams in the league. I think they're like they're the fifth or sixth youngest team in the league by average age. And, you know, Kako, I think, for example, has taken a step up in terms of being a, a good defensively now. And, and he's always been pretty good defensively and especially, anal- excuse me, especially analytically. But I think he's, he's really, you know, proven his own, um, on the defensive side and a lot of their forwards for the most part, I think have been better defensively minus the centers and the point I was making before. Um, I think too, one of the things we're, that we're seeing as well is in the offensive zone, like they're still overpassing and, and that's, I feel like, you know, we're all, I think Jacob's, you know, Luca, I'm looking at you and you, you look around my age or maybe a little bit younger and Jacob's probably, uh, a lot younger than both of us, but, um, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm 33. I'll, um, I'll, I yeah, yeah, I'm, thir- yeah. I'm 34. So yeah, Jacob is yeah. What, yeah, fuck you, Jacob. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> but, um, it, like, I feel like our entire lives, right. Has been like the overpassing of the Rangers has been something we've been complaining about the whole time. And that's still something that we complain about. But I think that, you know, this year, one of the things that stands out in the positive is while they are still overpassing, uh, the intent is there where when they're try- when they're overpassing, they're often trying to get it to someone in the slot or someone in one of those high danger areas that is set up and clear for a shot. Whereas in the past, sometimes it was uh, it felt like passing for passing sake or you know being unselfish for the sake of being unselfish. And so I think like a lot of the positive intent is there and they're trying to do the right things and just can't always execute. And so that's a positive, you know, and, and on the negative side, it's just, it, it, it's been a mess in terms of just the cohes- the cohesiveness. Like there's been some injuries and, you know, Gallant, you know, is, I think he does a lot of positives, but also, you know, he, he is your typical hockey man and that uh, he, he does some things with his lineups and stuff that's just going to make a lot of fans nuts. And, and on the negative side, it's, I'd love to see him try different things with the defensive pairs. You know, he's got no problem after five minutes going wrong on offense he'll throw the, the <laughs> offensive lines at a blender but he he sticks to his defensive pairs and my mentality is you know we, we know what works you know we know fox and Lingren work we know that yeah you know uh, it, it, how things have been shaking out but it, and because of that it's like try something new and if if it doesn't work whatever go back to what you know what works but at least especially in these last 20 or so games where really like we, we know the rangers can play are going to be playing the devils you know, you know, the Lightning are going to be playing the Maple Leafs with with the way this playoff structure is. It's kind of everything set in stone already, and so at this point, it's like prep for the playoffs. And, and so that's why I don't mind so much. You know, the way their mentality in the trade deadline was kind of lose the battle to win the war. In that, hey, let's sit some guys, keep things out, get the cap space to make the trades we want to make because the goal is for the playoffs. And under that same mindset, you know, try some different things with some of the lines, see what works, see what doesn't. And just so you have some more options come playoff time. So, yeah, I mean, I, sorry, no, no, I want to piggyback on something real quick that you said. It was, it sucks since we're the same age, we've both witnessed and watched awful power plays <laughs> and like obviously like you know the power play the power play has struggled at certain points this it's year so damn like even when the power it is but Everyone even when it, they, they don't score yeah but this is the point even when like they don't actually score it's still fifty thousand times better than like the past power plays of like the tortorella yeah. where like oh my they God, couldn't even yeah. get the puck in the zone 
like mm-hmm. at least like you know it's like now it's like like it's it's a different kind of issue it's you know before they couldn't get the puck in the zone in those those days now it's just like uh they have the puck in the zone for two minutes and they can't do anything sometimes well yeah now it's they're, they're forcing they're forcing it too much to go to the Zibanejad and the Ovechkin slot. And like, you know, when, yeah. when you can set up Zibanejad and he gets that shot, I mean, Zibanejad is great. Love him. And when he's able to rip that shot from the right circle and, and it, you know, it, that's a high danger chance for him, but it's the other teams know it. And you can see with the way the other teams are playing defensively, that they're clearly shading towards Zibanejad knowing this is coming and the Rangers haven't adjusted. And that's, you know, I guess to your question, you know, about something that's alarming this year compared to last year, it's, they don't seem to be adjusting to what the other teams are throwing at them and come playoff time. That's huge. You know, in the playoffs, it's a seven game series against the same exact team. Coaching becomes more important. The adjustments become more important. And like, yeah, obviously like, you know, the Rangers are hyper skilled and, up and down the lineup, you know, uh, just on paper, the Rangers are a really, really good team right now, but they will need to obviously execute and adjust based on what the opponent's throwing at them. Going back to the power play, obviously there was a time where it was so bad. We wanted to forfeit the power play because we had more short-handed <laughs> chances against than yeah. uh, for, but how would you, is there a line change regarding the power play or the position wise? How, how would you handle that? Again, I think the big thing is the predictability of the power play right now, where it's it's you can see it in every single power play. It's like they're cycling and then trying to set up Zibanejad for that one timer there. It's like try something else, anything else. You know, Kreider is literally one of the two best players in the entire league at setting up the net and getting those tips and scoring goals. That's him and Joe Pavelski. Those two are on a tier of their own in terms of their ability to, you know, be that net front presence and score. And it seems like this year they they shied away from, you know, Kreider and having him set up in front and having him try to, you know, go for those tip goal tipping goals. And they're too much trying to force the puck to Zibanejad for that one timer off the circle there. And so it just, yeah, I mean, the number one fix is just try something different, you know, and, 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 and Fox is one of the smartest players in the entire NHL, if not the smartest player. Panarin also super high IQ, super high IQ, very good playmaker. You know, you got Zibanejad with the shot, you got Kreider with the net for presence, and you got a cavalcade of players now with, you know, you have Tarasenko who can rip it, you have Kane who can, it's a good shooter, but also obviously more known for a playmaker, Lafreniere, Kako, all these different guys, just Again, my main thing with these last you know twenty or so games is just try a bunch of things, see what works, see what doesn't work, and just understand what different options you have going into the playoffs. And if you go into the playoffs and you want you know to start off with what's been working for the last couple of years, that's fine. But at least if you try different things now, you know what you can default to if the other team adjusts, does something different that you're not expecting, and you have to adjust back. Would you? I know you said to try a bunch of stuff, but one idea I wanted to throw at you, because from different fans' perspectives, some would say it's nuts, some would say <laughs> it's, you know, get the hell out of here. But would you maybe have Kane on one side and Zibanejad on the other and then put Panarin in the bumper because it forces him to shoot? He doesn't have the chance to play make, which would be able to have those one-timers on both sides. Or you think there's probably someone else more fitted than Panarin to be in the bumper? I mean, again, I'm fine with trying it, but I do think there's probably someone more fitted than Panarin being in that bumper slot because 
Panera does have a good shot, and, and I understand the mentality of, like you said, kind of wanting wanting to force him to shoot more. Um, but at the same time, what separates Panarin from a lot of the other players at his position is his is his ability to stick handle and his his ability to see the ice and his playmaking. And so again, his shot's good, but you don't want to like take away what is his biggest strength by forcing, you know, cramming a square peg into a round hole there. So again, I, I, I'm down for trying it because, like I keep saying, I'm down for trying a bunch of different things, see what works, see what doesn't work. But uh, that that's not necessarily the number one thing I'm pointing to. Like, hey, let's make this, you know, line change or this, you know, uh, you know, it, it, that's not the thing I'm pointing to. Saying this is what we need to do right now. You know, I feel that uh, I don't know. Are you a big baseball fan at all? Yeah, I like all, the, all the, yeah, all the four big sports. You know, baseball, basketball, football, hockey. Like all of them, hockey's the sport I'm biggest into. You know, but it, baseball. I actually baseball used to be my favorite sport. And now I've, I've kind of settled into like, yeah, I watch the Yankees, and that's about it. But, but yeah, yeah. Okay, so I, I just kind of wanted to like preface that question with that, like, because I, I feel like baseball has kind of uh been almost overtaken by analytics in a sense mm-hmm. that like the entire game has changed now. Now I'm not even I'm not even like hockey is not even close to that <laughs> level. It's not it's not even like yeah. it's like to to get to the level that baseball is in, like we would be changing goalies mid game because like, oh like you know this goalie plays well in the third period. Or right. something. And you're like, know, something tip into like, like the Rays, pulling that dude who had like a perfect game in the sixth inning. Cause it's like, oh, no, 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 exactly. Yeah. 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 It's like, Oh man, you know, it's whatever. But like, you know, I, I feel like the NHL has done a very good job of bringing in analytics and not letting it kind of slow everything down. Um, baseball mm-hmm. has kind of sucked the life out of the game a little bit for me. And maybe that's me really uh-huh. just really not liking Aaron Boone as a manager for the Yankees. And that's a whole different <laughs> podcast for yeah, a whole yeah, different yeah. thing. Um, but, you know, what are some ways do you, that you think that the uh, that hockey can continue to kind of incorporate more analytics and not slow? Obviously, slowing it down is no, a different thing. I, 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 I get your, like I get your point. Yeah, no, I get your point. I would disagree in the premise that I mean I agree with you on the baseball premise and like I mean people listen to this anyone who knows who I am knows I'm a big analytics proponent but I will agree that baseball has I don't want to say gone too far but it is like so many teams are just so purely numbers based now and and it does get a bit ridiculous and and I made the joke about the Rays before but the Rays are that team that team too where it's like I know um you know Greg at Blue Shirts Breakaway makes this joke where it's like, if the Rays call you about a trade, just hang up because they always yeah. seem to win those trades. And, you know, a big part of that is because the Rays are one of the earlier adopters of analytics and have been really good with smartly employing analytics. And that's kind of the, the springboard I'm going to use to make my point. And that in hockey, the teams with the best analytics departments are Toronto, it's Tampa, it's Colorado. You notice a theme here with with, with what I'm saying, yeah. and a lot, and then some of the the teams that just kind of ignore it totally are often the bottom feeders. And so in hockey, hockey's kind of like football in that you know it's you have a couple teams, uh, some teams that are using them well, some teams that just kind of still have that old school mentality of like, oh no, watch the film, and you know it's about the players on the field and all that. 
And like, like, yeah, you don't want to be that team that just only looks at the numbers, right? And I'm a big proponent of to, to effectively utilize analytics, you need to you know marry it with the tape. And, and and when I say that, it's not just watching the puck. Like the big the big mistake fans make when they're you know claiming, oh, you know, watch the game, use the eye test, this and that is all they're doing is watching the puck. And so much of what happens in hockey and what's important in hockey is what's happening off the puck. And that's where analytics can come into play as well and you know in both hockey and football and so you know to get to my point it's that uh, one of the things that hockey team that hockey can do is it's that off the puck it's the you know who is making and and it's a lot of like the micro stats too it's you know public analytics and private analytics are pretty different too where the stuff that's available to the public it is people you know people like you know the evolving wild twins and you know whoever runs um like the money the a couple of the other sites that are out there, um, but it's leveraging NHL data. That is the way the NHL data works is like, it's someone in the arena saying this is where shots coming from. And th- the shot location data is a big piece that's going into the expected goals model. So the expected goals models, it, it's in essence, you know, where are you taking a shot from? What kind of shot it is and like what angle is it taken from? And so that's heavily reliant on the NHL shot location data. Whereas, so that that's how the public models work. Whereas the private, Private models can also account for things like the pre-shot movement. So was it a? Uh, and you hear Steve Alicat talk a lot about this. Who has his own company, you know, ClearSight Analytics. And I've I've chatted with Steve a bit offline, and and he's wonderful with talking about what they have to do to manually track the pre-shot movement. You know, is it a pass across the ice, or you know, Valaket loves the term the Royal Road, because the point is, is if you're making the goalie move, that. That's a huge piece on how likely is this shot to become a goal. Public models can't account for that. Private models can. And so this is a very long way of to answer your question of saying, you know, this is, you know, that's what hockey teams need to do is they need to have some of this manual tracking to get the pre-shot movement, the passing movement, stuff like that incorporated into their analytics. The Rangers do it. Most teams have their private data and some do it better than others. You know, uh, the Rangers, everything they do, I know for a fact from literally someone I've spoken to whose job it is to do this stuff with the Rangers is that they have their proprietary models. They they manually track it. They have their internal team. Other teams will pay companies like Steve Alicats or others for their data, stuff like that, or both. Um, and, and it's really just um, a matter of collecting all the data you can. And the big thing is, being able to properly communicate it to the coaches. And so one of the big issues that happens both on Twitter and with NHL staffs is you have these people who, who are really good with analytics, really good with numbers, all this stuff. And they think they're better than everyone because of that. Right. And that's one of the big turnoffs for a lot of people on Twitter, at least of why they haven't adopted analytics is because the early adopters of it, the early like proponents of it, were jackasses who just kind of felt like, hey, this is the core C, and therefore, if you don't agree with this, like, fuck you, you're an idiot. And it's all about how do you properly communicate it. And so one of the big things that NHL teams need to do is be sure that they're able to communicate the information. Most of the NHL teams have the data, have the internal and public and all that stuff data. It's just, can you properly communicate it to your coaches and to your players? And, and that that's the key it is getting it is communicating it in a manner that makes people recognize this is why it's important. It's not 
everything. It's not the end all be all, but these are things we've learned from the numbers that we can take advantage of or we can improve in. And how do we properly communicate it to get the buy-in? Yeah. Uh, Really, really good answer for a very wide, wide question that I asked there. Uh, This one's going to be a little more specific. (laughs) You know, we have, obviously we have a certain case with uh, uh, Miko Mikola who just came here and there's this, this happens pretty much every year where we have uh, a player or defenseman specifically on a team that is either complete bottom dweller or just a team that's not doing very well and their analytics aren't good. What are some way that you, some ways that we can quantify a player that's on a bad team, but he's not bad. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that, uh, so the site, you know, uh, uh, evolve, the evolving wild twins, who I mentioned before, yeah. um, there, a lot of their analytics are rooted in what they call, um, you know, it's not team. So I'll take a step back. So for a while, when you hear relative, relative statistics, right, it's team relative. So it's how does someone do when they are, how does the team do when a certain player is on the ice compared to off? What the Evolving Wild twi- Twins did is um, they, and I keep calling the the Evolving Wild Twins because th- that's their site, like, you know, Evolving Wild, but it's on the Younger Twins. Those are their last names. So they realized that relative to player is way more important than relative to team. And so they built a model to try to adjust for how is each individual player relative to the other players on the team, not just how is the team mm-hmm. in, in aggregate, you know, do when yeah. someone's on versus off the ice. And, and so that's one of the things you have to look at is, you know, and that's how you try to adjust for a team being shit is how is this player relative to all the other players on the team? Not just how is this player, you know, doing in aggregate compared to the team as a whole. Um, And and Mikola, one of the things with him is, you know, and this is another thing where you kind of have to take it into account and why, even though I love analytics, it's not the end all be all is the human element really, really matters with this stuff. And so when you're on a, poor team and a poor situation and a bunch of things are going wrong. Like that's just naturally going to affect people. And, you know, my job in real life is, you know, I, I, you know, I work for a, you know, research company where I'm, I manage a group of managers and then each of those managers manages, you know, individual teams. And like the human element is so important in everything. And if you have people that are happy and enthusiastic and want to be working, that will have a very, very strong positive impact on their output. Same is true in sports, where if you have folks that really want to be on the team and are in a good spot and happy with the team, that will have a positive impact on their output output. And, you know, vice versa, where if the team's in a shit situation and there's issues going on with ownership or the coach or players, stuff like that, like that's going to have a negative, you know, uh, impact on their output. And so with a team like St. Louis, who, you know, won the cup, you know, what was it five years ago and they were supposed to be good this year. And then they've been pretty crap all year long. And oh, for cow, a while, five years ago, yeah, uh, maybe, maybe four, uh, yeah, maybe four years. Ago. Yeah. Oh, no, it's but, um, yeah, it's close. But it's, you know, when you have that kind of situation, it's natural to understand that maybe not everyone's going to be bringing their best every single day or, you know, their their output is going to be in, impacted by the fact that there's this negative situation going on around them. And so with Mikula, Mikula, he's someone who 
has the raw physical tools that a lot of GMs look for when you want like an effective defenseman, like it's not going to be a top pair guy or anything like that. But in terms of just what do you need for a, an effective middle or bottom pair guy, you know, he has those tools. And so the hope is put him in a situation where he's now happier and now feels more part of a team and contributing to something that that will you know, affect his play in a positive manner. So this regarding the human element kind of fits perfectly in the next question here with Tarasenko and Kane. A lot of people kind of forget that they've been with one team their whole lives. They have families, <laughs> which then obviously the, the family to- part's a big piece, but sorry, sorry to cut you off, but that, oh, yeah, that's no, no, something no. that drives me nuts when I see on Twitter where like, would people just act like everyone's just like a name on paper. It's like, I mean, what was, I think it was Luke Shen, right. In Vancouver where like his wife was, is due, but I don't know if she had a baby or not, but like one of the things with that whole trade situation with Luke Shen was like his wife's due with a baby any day now. And so he was saying, Hey, trade me a couple of days before the deadline. Cause she's due or around the deadline. So he wants to be able to get settled in this new environment. So his wife can be there and have the fucking kid. Like, and so well, wasn't, didn't Eddie, uh, Eddie Olchek, his wife was giving birth on trade deadline day and he was traded while he was in the yeah. delivery room. And yeah, really? I, 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 yeah, yeah. Per, and so yeah, Jacob. It's it's also the point of again. Sorry for just cutting no, you off you. there, but like it's that family piece that you brought up is so so important as well. Oh yeah, no, I, and I, Truba. I, like the reason why Truba is a ranger is because, right, because, Truba, because his fiance. Yes, his fiance. I, I don't. I assume it's his wife now. I'm not sure, but like at the time, you know, she correct Truba, and, and I can go off forever about how. How many NHLers are assholes, quite frankly? And how many athletes in general are just like spoiled baby assholes? But like Truba is genuinely a good person. And it's so rare to hear about an instance where an athlete actually gives a shit about their partner's career. And that's why Truba's here is because his wife is, a, I think, a nurse. And and he knew if he came to New York, like that could set her up for a lot of good opportunities for her career as well. For So all the credit to him on that as well. Right. So, yeah, no, exactly. Like uh, when Tarasenko came over, like and as well as came like they they all they have families. Right. And then they're also on top of that. They've only played with one team their whole lives. They have mm-hmm. never experienced a trade. And then on top of all that as well, they have to new structure, new line mates. Heck, you, you got to find out where your family is going to live, all that. Mm-hmm. How much of that? How long does that? I know every person's different, but when does it get to a point? in let's say one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, when you say, okay, maybe it's the lines or the players not fitting exactly how we thought. When does that, I don't want to say excuse, What when does those variables stop, you know, being in effect? Yeah. I mean, you answer your own question when you said it depends on the person and, and, and that's really it. Where like, you know, with some players could probably, are probably really good at compartmentalizing all this and they're like, work is work and, family life is family life and when they get to the rink it's everything separate and some players can't do that and you know i I don't mean to like cop out of your answer but it really is 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 person to person i will say though uh, in terms of kane tarasenko is tarasenko has been asking to be traded from st louis for two years now and kane has a full move no move clause and bitched and moaned when the Rangers trade traded for Tarasenko, like made it clear he wanted to come here. So I would say as a fan, I think it's okay to have a little bit of a shorter leash with both of them in that both of them wanted out. 
wanted to be traded, wanted to come to New York. You know, Tarasenko, maybe there's a little bit more wiggle room where I think he had like eight or 10 teams he could have been traded to. But both of them are now where they wanted to be, more or less. And so because of that, I, I think it's it's fair for fans to have a, a bit of a shorter leash. But to answer your question, I mean, you still got to give it a couple weeks. Like, and, and especially right now, with you know, when we began, you were talking about how we're down two defensemen. Mott got hurt, and you know, the, the NHLs are refusing to allow the Rangers to emergency call up anyone because Gary Bettman's a little bitch boy. Like, um, it wasn't even in writing. Like, it says <laughs> in the rules, it, it never says anywhere, it never stipulates anywhere where if you make it. Yeah, nah, Bet- Bettman's just a vindictive asshole, and it's taken out in the Rangers right now. But point is, is like you got to get him a little bit because of the the, the cir- circumstances the team's dealing with. But it's okay to be to get antsy, you know, within a week or two, as opposed to you know, hey, let's give it the full month or something like that. Because again, to your point, you're in essence asking, hey, because of the human element, how long of a leash should we have? And the slight rebuttal is both of them want to come to new york and so they got what they wanted and so some of that human element can be kind of not wiped away with but again this is what they wanted and they got what they wanted and so it's all right time to get to work you know and time to put it together and i would say tarasenko has been pretty good you know i I, i've been happy with how he's looked especially considering that his shoulders fucked and you know the whole one of the big reasons why he wanted to add a st louis is because the doctors there messed up you know he he needed the shoulder surgery they messed it up he needed another operation because of that and it'll never be the same i thought he's looked pretty good um he's never been good defensively and i've seen a couple of people ripping him for that i'm like well this is who he is and this is who kane is too but kane and panarin are clearly far too much trying to like accommodate one another and it's like all right give it a little bit to get over that shit and then let's let's get to work guys i think no i just think the four days off is really going to be i I, i'm really excited for thursday's game because like yeah they he got off a plane they were in a they were in Philly and like they they haven't had time to kind of acclimate themselves at all and this yeah. is really the only four day stretch this is gonna be the longest stretch for the rest of the season where they just yeah. have practice no game so I'm really curious about Thursday's game and and what that's gonna look like no I totally agree these four days off are are vital and because this is finally the have the practice time for everyone to get together get to know each other you know understand everyone's nuances in their game and hopefully come Thursday. They look more complete and more, you know, practiced. I mean, people forget though, like Panarin and Kane played with each other, what, 57 years ago? Like it's gonna, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not gonna come right off the bat, but you mentioned with Tarasenko and Kane, you know, not the greatest defensively, obviously that's not what we paid for, but do you maybe change up the uh, lineup combinations to balance out uh, the lines defensively. I'm not. I'm not. God forbid. I'm. I'm not saying Goodrow in the top six here, but I'm just saying, like you know, <laughs> you better fucking not say that. <laughs> I'm no. gonna start yelling at you. <laughs> no. Now, I uh, mean, I, I, I'm just gonna go back to what I keep saying. Just try a bunch of shit, see what works, right? I, I'm fine with trying a whole bunch of different things. See what clicks. See what doesn't. And you know, especially with forward combinations, like you gotta get, allow some people to to click. Like you can't like try it for a period and then revert back. And that's something that Galant's than a few times is when he's finally changing up the pairs so then halfway through a game he's changing them back it's like no no, no you gotta give you gotta give it a couple defensive games. pairs then oh, oh i mean definitely i again that was a point i already made like he, he's so quick to change the forward pairs but uh, i mean i could probably threaten his fucking life and he still won't change the defensive pairs but you know 
try a bunch of different things, see what works, but you got to get a couple of ga- a couple games. You got to allow players to, you know, learn each other's games, you know, learn each other's nuances, where they like the puck, how, how they like to play and go from there. Um, and there's certain players where you can probably put with anyone and they'll do well. Again, Adam Fox, one of the smartest players in the, in the league, you can put him with anyone and he's going to succeed. Um, Panarin is another one of those players where super smart. Um, I think, you know, quite frankly, you know, Kaku is one of those players that I think is proving where obviously he's more effective in different situation, different situations, but he's got a lot of elements to his game where he can su- succeed in a lot of different scenarios. And so it's just, you know, churn some of these guys over, see what works and go from there. So, uh, you know, there, there's some things that you're never going to be able to play at the level that Shesterkin played last year. No, um, for, I mean, literally, for, uh, that was a Dominic Hasek season. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, and Dominic Hasek did it, and then he did it again the next year, and then that was really, you know what I mean? Like, he did it, yeah. obviously, he was, he was Dominic Hasek is one of my favorite, He, I think he's my favorite goalie ever, like, just watching him play was I mean, so fun. I'll, I'll die on the hill that Dominic Hasek was the most talented goalie to ever play in the NHL. Like, oh, said, I, I mean, I, yeah. I, think, I think there'd be a lot of people on that hill with you. Yeah. But hey, Martin Berdour got um, like nine shot, uh, shots nah, on fuck, goal shutouts. Nah, don't, don't even fuck off with the Berdour stuff. I, I will also die on the hill that Lundqvist was a better goalie than Berdour. And um, no, that's all, that's all. I think, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. You got nine shots on goal shutouts, and they had the yeah. trap system, which yeah. Uh, we're, let's not go down this rabbit hole right now. Sorry, Luke, <laughs> yeah, Luke, was, was your say, point? We, we we can get derailed real quick right there. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, like, obviously, you know, Chesty's not, he's not going to be able to play that level for a full season throughout the course of his career, you know, the entire time. Um, he's regressed a little bit, but I honestly, like, when people say, like, he's having an off year, I, I really look at it, and honestly, like, for me, yes, he's not as sharp as he was last year, but I still see the same Chesty, and I still see a lot of really – Honestly, like, I still I just think that like there's so many things defensively that this team is breaking down, and like there's still high scoring chances and all this stuff. I feel like a lot of the issues that he's dealing with now are just same the issues that we were dealing with last year, but he was able to mask them up. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the the truth's in the middle there, in that like, yeah. yes, you can't expect Shisterkin to be what he was last year. That was literally what was the second or third highest save percentage ever. I'll say the save percentage garbage stat. Um, you, you know, you want you, a bunch of other things you want to look at too, but um, with him, I would say he, he he's obviously not performing at the elite historic level he did last year, but he's still been good to your point. Um, I would say um, when you look at um, kind of how he's playing, he's playing a little bit deeper in his net this year, and that's a Benoit Lair special. And so I'm a little bit, if, if I'm going to say, if I'm concerned at all, like I still think Shesterkin's a no-brainer top five goalie in the NHL, and I'm not worried about him at all. I think most nights the Rangers have an advantage in net, but he, he is clearly playing deeper in his net this year than he has in the past. And, you know, again, I, I'm also a prospects nerd. I've been watching Shesterkin play for probably the last seven or eight years. And so this is a big difference in how he's played his entire career. And so I would like to see him kind of stray away from it like it's okay for you know Benoit Lair, one of the best goalie coaches ever his brother one of the best goalie coaches ever also you know the Allaire brothers are you know both hall of famers in terms of how I consider you know 
you know, coaching and, and who belongs in the hall from a coaching perspective. But it, it, I get, hey, let's try this, see if it works. I, I think the proof's in the pudding where it, it hasn't worked the way he wanted to and let him get back to his old, more aggressive self, playing more away from the net, coming out, challenging shots, stuff like that. Because Lundqu- you know, So Henrik Lundqvist was notorious for playing very deep in his net. And that's because he had a reaction uh, you know, the ability to react to shots like no other. Um, his ability to predict what was coming and then react immediately was second to none. And that's why he was able to sit back in his net and then kind of react to what was coming to him. No one else on earth can do that. And so that's why a lot of goalies have to be more aggressive, come out, cut off the angle, stuff like that. So you don't have to rely so much on your reaction time. And so I'd like to see Schuster can get back to some of the more aggressive behavior the, that he's had his entire life up until this year. Uh, that actually, I was going to ask that if uh, he was playing more in, but yeah, it's just every time you, you see him uh, with a shot that clearly goes in, you're like, wait a minute, did last year he would have saved that. What was the issue? And you looked at, oh, maybe his reflexes were off now, but it was just, you see the butter, his butterfly positioning is just straight flat in the middle of the crease. And I go to last year, he was way ahead of the, uh, excuse me, the, the crease. Yeah. I'm sorry. The crease. And uh, yeah, it's, it's hopefully, I don't know with Benoit Laird, you know, I well, that, and I think it's clear that he he's struggling, struggling a little bit mentally too right now. And he's admitted it in interviews. And I'm going to go back to, again, the human element's important. Shesterkin has admitted that he doesn't feel like he's playing on top of this game right now. And, you know, goalies are like, you know, quarterbacks in the NFL and that like you get someone rattled mentally a little bit and that can really alter their performance. And like Tom Brady is the example I point to all the time. It's like, you know, the giants have two super bowls because they were able to hit him early. And then he started seeing ghosts and that affected the rest of his game in those super bowl games. And goalies are the same way where, you know, it's such a mental game. And if someone's not completely on their game mentally, that will impact how they're performing. And Shesterkin has literally admitted that he's he's not as confident as he used to be, and so and, and I think his quote the other day was like, "I'm hoping to you know in practice build up some confidence and then have that parlay into the games." And so it's uh, you know part of it is definitely what I was saying before. He needs to be playing more aggressive, but he also needs to be you know just mentally more confident, and the team has to kind of build them up that way too. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned the their like quarterbacks because I I kind of think of when I think of like goalies like and the head cases that and like just the psychological torture that they kind of put that put on themselves i think of tennis players a lot too yeah um yep there you got i mean if both of you i mean and anyone who listens to this the netflix documentary on the i forget the name but it's a tennis documentary came out in january it was awesome and but there's like there's a few like tennis players in it that are just like and it just makes what what you know the like five tennis players like Serena Venus joke like you know Rod or Federer, uh, yeah Federer Nadal and, and Djokovic have done for the past twenty years so incredible is that their mental like fortitude is just head and shoulders above everyone. Well, I think Andre uh, Agassi and, is a great great point of what you're making. Like I Agassi's mm. career, it's like what I understand there were some like didn't he have like a, a drug problem or something along the way or but like. Agassi's awesome players, how, how dominant he was and how poor he was at times is a perfect example yeah. of exactly what you're saying. Yeah, and it's it's a bunch of Agassi's biography is so cool. It's such yeah. a good book. Um, 
but he he was really it's just a very interesting thing because like there's one tennis player and the thing like but this girl's so good and she like literally has this mental hurdle she gets to like the semifinals and then just collapses in every tournament and it is it is so hard to watch um you know i got one more question for you and uh not gonna take up too much more of your time you've been really really generous with your time so thank you but um chris drury obviously he is a lightning rod of you know yeah. good or bad right now because you you, mm-hmm. you kind of it could be depending on the day depending on if it's trade deadline or during the summer um you know how would you rate what he's done obviously at the trade deadlines in his first two and just overall his job <laughs> yeah he's wonderful at the trade deadlines and shit in the offseason like that's mm. my take so far i mean yeah it's hard to say because i think one of the Rangers' biggest problems isn't so much drafting, but developing, especially on the forward side. And like, how much blame do you put on the GM for that? Um, obviously, the GM is the one who, at the end of the day, has you know the, the decision-making power over who's getting hired in these positions that'll help develop people along the way. But I think one thing we've learned from the last you know five or six years from the Rangers is, is they seem to be very good at developing defenseman but horrible at developing forwards and you know and so it's kind of hard like again like how much blame do i put on drury or gorton before him on that i will say that drury's first off season was awful you know the the buchnevich trade the gudro contract all that it's very clear that he had a mandate of what to do and he kind of took that to the extreme um but then the two trade deadlines, he's been amazing. Like the the value he's, you know, I think the Tarasenko and Kane trades both were good value for the Rangers. Even like the Tyler Mott getting, you know, Nico Mikola thrown in with the Tarasenko stuff. That was all wonderful work. Last trade deadline, amazing. And none of it was an overpay or anything like that. And if anything, almost every single trade was an underpay relative to yeah. what people thought that they would get. Um, and, and so that's a long way of saying that like with Drury, I think the you know, the jury's still out a bit in terms of has my big thing with him is has he made any changes to fix the clear issue that has been the way the Rangers handle and develop talented forward prospects? And to this point, I I think there's a lot of negative to be said about him. Um, I know a lot of what the Kratzoff situ- situation was. You know, Kratzoff deserves a lot of the blame, but so does Drury. I have, um, you know, one of, I don't want to like sound like like an asshole here, but like, oh, my source says this. But like, you know, a friend of mine literally works for a big agent who deals with a lot of like European prospects. And like Drury was a complete and total fucking asshole to Kratzoff and just thought that he could treat him like anyone else. And like what you have to understand mm-hmm. about Kratzoff is like this kid – was is in essence uh you know product of a russian oligarch like he was a rich russian kid who's been coddled his whole life and to think that you could treat him like any other person is just stupid it goes against any management book you'll ever read you know in life yeah. you have to understand you know what makes people tick how do they react and then you know adjust to that and drury thought that like nah, nah, nah i'm just gonna treat this kid like any ordinary person and that was a big mistake by his and it blew up in his face and like yes again kratzoff deserves blame in that situation but so does drury um and, and you saw it with the way 
both Gorton, you know, Gorton treated Leah Sanderson and there's a lot of blame to go around there. And you see it with the way, you know, Kako and Lafreniere and a bunch of people have been developed to this point. And it's a long way of saying how I will view Drury as a GM will come down to, is he putting the right people in position development wise to make sure that the Rangers are capitalizing on these very talented forwards they've drafted for years now and helping them develop both on the rink and off the rink as adults, quite frankly. Um, and, you know, hopefully they do better with Othman than they've done with some of the other forwards to date. And I'll leave it at that. It's really interesting because Othman is his first actual pick himself. Um, so, I, you know, I, it's, it's interesting. Like, I feel like I, I don't know. Sorry, go. I was just going to say, they've made a lot of changes too. So, like, yeah. what are the people I know as well? Um, was in the Rangers draft room for in the Gorton era. His job was he, he did a lot of like the, the, I don't want to call it analytics, but like um, he was like a scouting information director for the Rangers. And um, Drury has made a lot of changes to that as well. To, to your point, pointing to often be like, this was his first pick. I just want to say that like, that's a, a very important point to make because Drury has made a lot of changes internally as well to the folks that are, providing the information that leads to him making selections and like GMs are not the ones sitting down watching all these games and determining themselves. Like, Hey, I, I watched all this and therefore this is the selection we made. No, no, no. GMs are like any manager in any walk of life. They are relying on their directs to feed them information, to make the proper decisions. And Drury's made a lot of changes to that staff. And so it's, you know, we'll find out soon. Um, you know, I, I was ha- I liked some of what they did last year. Like I think Sakura last year and what was the third round they picked him was a very good pick. Some of the middle, some of the picks after that, I was like, I'm not sure what you're doing, but whatever. You're talking fourth, fifth, sixth round. Like there's a lot of changes that can be made, but I, I really like that they held on to their first round pick this year. And I'm curious to see what route they go. In my opinion of the Rangers pipeline right now is they have a lot of bottom half players that are they have a lot of nhl players in their pipeline right now that'll be bottom half the lineup guys they Mm -hmm. severely lack upside players right now um and i i'm just very curious to see where they're going to go with the pick they have that'll you know fingers crossed be very late in the first round right now because let's hope that hey dallas's pick goes over to uh st louis and then you know our pick is very you know the very end of the first round yeah. When would you say? I know this was kind of not a thing, but when would you say Othman would be NHL ready? Was was it like next year or is ne- this next year? Be- yeah, yeah. It, 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 so this year, he ideally would have been in the AHL this year. Um, from a but skill perspective, yeah, it, the, the the NHL agreement with the juniors, yes. Um, from a skill per- perspective, he's ready. The problem is, is Othman has a very physical, gritty game, but it's like a hundred eighty-five pounds stopping wet. Um, he's not physically mature enough to play his game at the NHL level right now. And so ideally speaking, he would have been at the AHL this year, which is still playing against adults, but not, you know, an Evgeny Malkin, for example. Right. And so, um, you know, next year's off season, I think Othman it's on Othman to in a training camp to prove to the Rangers, he deserves 
as a roster spot. And given the cap situation the Rangers are going to be in, and let's see what they do with like the Lafreniere and the Keandre Miller contracts, like they want you know entry level contracts on the roster next year. So he'll have every opportunity to prove that he deserves one of those spots. So final question here, guy. I know we took it a lot of your time, but uh, actually, well, kind of a, a questions. Um, one is, what are your expectations regarding Kane and Tarasenko? And two, what is the Rangers? What are you concerned about most regarding the Rangers come playoff time? What I'm concerned about most come playoff time is their ability to adjust. And I was kind of talking to that before with one of the questions. I don't remember if it was you or Luca who asked it, but um, Gallant is a wonderful players coach in that. So one of the things that I think that people on Twitter, especially get wrong is they focus they hyper focus on like line combinations and stuff like that when it comes to coaching and obviously that's important but nhl coaches and any coach in any sport it's also really important just to be a a personnel manager you know deal with your people treat them well get them all working together as a team working towards the common goal Kalant is a wonderful personnel manager pretty shit tactician and he's also a terrible up manager and that's why he's been fired twice kind of out of nowhere it's it's very well reported that Gallant has no time for the skill of up managing and that's why kind of Florida and Vegas both out of nowhere in essence are like you know what fuck you you're gone because what do you, what do you mean by up up man so talking with the gm so okay, managing gotcha. someone who is above you in the in the gotcha. uh, yeah and so Gallant knows what he wants to do which is great from one perspective but when his boss the gm tries telling him hey we want you to do this you know Gallant has got no problem telling him you know fuck off i'm doing this instead and uh, i have it on very good authority that and it's well reported that a big reason why Gallant has been sort of out of nowhere twice been fired is because of his lack of an ability to up manage to the gm mm. and so my concern to jacob's point uh, question is his ability to kind of adjust be a tactician and be able to manage the series especially against like a carolina where rob brindamore is a very smart coach and and, and knows how to play a lot of like the during the game games and adjust and, and stuff yeah. like that. The Rangers beat the hurricane last year because Shesterkin was amazing. And because Svechnikov and Aho kind of disappeared. If that doesn't happen this year, the hurricanes are a really poor matchup for the Rangers in, in terms of a lot of the things that are Rangers weaknesses. And obviously we got to get past the devils first, but so my, my concern is Gallant's ability to manage the game in game. Um, but in terms of what am I positive about, like on paper, this team is ridiculous now. Um, yeah, I, I said, we said in the beginning when Luke and I were joking about how old we are, like I'm 34 years old and on paper, this is probably the most talented forward group this team has had since 1995, maybe, you know, 96 or something like that. Right. But they, you know, they have a ridiculous amount of skill and it's, can they click, find the right you know, uh, machinations to get the best out of everyone on the team. And, but, you know, again, on paper, they have Kane, Tarasenko, Panarin, Zibanejad, Kreider, Lafreniere, Kako, like all these highly, highly skilled players on, at forward. And then they also have good kind of grinders who can do a lot of the dirty work in Mott and Goudreau and VC, who's having a great year and all the credit to him as well. And then on defense, you have Adam Fox, who is literally one of the three 
best defenseman in the NHL. Keandre Miller is largely underrated when you're talking about the entire you know NHL landscape. Truba in the playoffs, I think, is a way better player than Truba in the regular season. Lingren is obviously an absolute warrior, you know. Um, and then you have one of the best goalies in the world in Ned as well. And so on paper, this team should be able to play with anyone. And so it just comes down to can they execute and then can they be put in the position to succeed by their coach? Got it. All right, Drew, thank you so much for coming on before we leave. Obviously, do you want to punch in your Twitter handle? What do you do? Well, I thought we were going to talk about some shitty ass. Uh, oh, oh, right. Oh, right. All right. All right. All right. Twitter insider account. I totally, I totally forgot too, about or... that. Can, can we explain how someone throwing mud against the wall a thousand times well, and it's sticking once? Well, I heard Luca was actually that Mickey Twitter account. So do we really want to make fun of that, uh, you know, that, that account in front of Luca right now or? Yeah, you guys know that I'm really big on Twitter. Um, I have I'm very very <laughs> present on on the Twitter sphere. No, uh, I just <laughs> kidding aside. So uh, for those lists, like you know, Jacob and I were kind of joking before coming on about just how some folks and, and this is going to sound really stupid me saying this after a couple times I've dropped like oh I know this person or that person but like there are a couple of Twitter accounts that become famous now on Twitter for just throwing a bunch of shit up against the wall and when something sticks they're like see I told you so. And it's it's just hilarious. All I say is all the credit to them for being able to make a bunch of people care about them. You know, the fact yeah. that I'm even bringing them up now, like they won, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're um, they're point. Point. yeah, yeah. No, they're enough. That's why I don't I don't deal with devil's accounts because they're like the little brother syndrome. They'll always be in the shadow. Oh, so I God. never interact with them on Twitter. I never deal with any of that. They're like if they could go on a 10 game winning streak and they'll rather talk about the rangers that's all i'm like yeah i'm not bothering with you that's it so you're talking about the brat the brat pack right now i'm talking about it i'm talking about i'm talking about that guy out specifically but okay no i'm talking about a lot of people again it's uh, on twitter a lot of it is you know there's a lot of people with the mentality of um any attention is better than no attention no matter you know no matter how positive or negative and the fact that us idiots all play into it you know they win oh yeah no no no. i'm definitely uh I definitely sometimes play victim. No, but the devil's like, I'm like, I'm not even touching that. It's like, it's clear to cry for attention. But um, yeah, and, okay, now. So anyway, you want to punch in your Twitter handle? Any info? Well, uh, you know let, me, let me leave things. At the, so, uh, you know, anyone can follow me at Twitter at, at Drew's underscore way. So D-R-E-W-S underscore way. Um, but I will leave this conversation at this. Like first, thank you both, Luca and Jacob, very much for having me on. And I am positive about this team i'm pretty optimistic i think we have the pieces to have a very long playoff run and it'll come down to can the team execute properly and and so just you know i know i kind of threw a lot of shit around today about hey this is what's bad or this or that but i'm excited for the rest of these 20 games i hope they try a couple different things out if i sit as i said a thousand times already and i'm cautiously optimistic about how this team will do this playoff so go rangers all right drew thank Couldn't you so much for better coming myself. On. uh thank you so much for coming on and uh, hopefully we'll see you next time thank you thank you so much for having me